Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. For the first time since 2006, the Iowa Hawkeyes are Big Ten Tournament champions. Uh, four games in four days, I believe only the third team in conference history to do it. Uh, it was quite a run. Sean Bach, David Eichel here, HawkeyeInsider.com. Uh, before we really dive into this, I want to take a moment and say uh, we do have our a 50% off discount for an annual subscription to HawkeyeInsider.com that will expire tonight, Monday March 14th at 11 p.m. So be sure to take advantage of that for the most in-depth coverage of your Iowa Hawkeyes. But, Sean, again, no shortage of storylines with, with what Iowa's done, obviously, over the past month, but especially in the Big Ten tournament. Now the NCAA tournament is uh, official. Iowa's a five seed, and we'll be taking on uh, the Richmond Spiders in the first round. But, Sean, let, let's before we dive into the NCAA tournament and the region everything, Let's talk about the conference tournament. I mean, Iowa just found a way to get it done. Uh, if you had told me going into the Purdue game, Sean, that Riley Mulvey and Josh Ogundale would play a combined 11 minutes, Iowa would be out-rebounded by 18, and that Iowa was shooting sub-30% from three-point range, I would have think Iowa lost by 20 points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair that's a fair assessment. I think you have to go back to, though, to the game that they played in West Lafayette in uh, January, uh, or not in January, in uh, December. You know, Agunale and Mulvey, if I if I recall correctly, um, both played a little bit. I think Mulvey played three minutes and Agunale played six minutes or 16 minutes. But, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. Iowa got rebounded by plus 12 that game. So, there, I mean, it was better the second time around. Obviously, Rabracha got to play more in that one. You had Keegan Murray in that second game, which helped out a lot too, but – you know, I thought the effort that Iowa put together on, you know, the, the boards was was huge. That was a big reason why Iowa won that game. And, you know, I think even though, you know, you look at the final stretch of the season, obviously those that stretch where they lost three of the four um, with the losses to Rutgers, Purdue, and Penn State, those were really, really dark times, it seems, during the season. But it kind of seems like since that game, or I don't know if it's, you know, putting Tony Perkins in the starting lineup or, what the what the deal has been, but they've just been on a roll. And, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, they, they see how athletic they can play together. They see how well they can play together. Obviously, you know, last year I thought, you know, they played well together, but I think the so much of the focus was on Luka, getting Luka guards with the ball inside. Well, this year, obviously, there's a guy like Keegan Murray, but it kind of just seems like this team seems to be more natural and just seems to be playing more, in unison together. It's a, yeah. it's a really interesting dynamic that, you know, if you had told me, like you said before, you know, if Iowa, you know, had to rely on Mulvey and the Gundalay to really get on the boards, you know, I think a lot of people too look back at that Penn state loss on the road where Iowa had that one and should have won that game. But, you know, looking back, I mean, anyone would have taken this, but I don't think anyone would have believed you had yeah. you said that Iowa would win, you know, the, the big 10 tournament. And, you know, I think before we get into it, too, I think the Big Ten, um, especially a conference like this, I think, you know, you hold more weight with the team that wins the regular season because they've consistently 
been the best team all season yeah. long. But I think you can't ignore with this Iowa team. Yeah, we, we talked about this before the pod, Dave. You know, I mentioned that I think this Iowa team, you know, there's always a lot of hype for teams that end up winning the Big Ten tournament. But I think you also have to look at this Iowa team before this stretch of games. You know, they've won, I think they're eight, I think they finished out the season with an eight and two record. And, you know, that loss at home to Michigan was obviously a tough one. But, you know, they almost beat Illinois on the road with a hostile environment. Um, obviously, Illinois was down Jacob Grandison, but Iowa had that game. It was a lot like that Purdue game where, you know, you really didn't feel like Iowa was going to mess up or you didn't really feel like there was a time where, you know, something was going to go wrong, but it did. And, you know, I know Purdue, uh, you know, took a lead, I think, one or two times late in the second half, but it never really felt like this Iowa team was out of control or, you know, felt like there was going to be a lapse where, you know, it, it something else, something bad was going to happen as they as it has earlier this year. You know, in this whole conference tournament, too, I mean, I yeah, I think you could say maybe a little bit different with the Indiana game, but, you know, there really kind of seemed to be – there never really seemed to be that lack of confidence, I feel like, with this team, you know, from an outsider's perspective, too, that they felt like they were going to lose any of these games. I think also, too, just for full context of the Illinois game, I mean, yeah, Illinois didn't have Grandis, and Iowa didn't have Patrick, though, either. Right. I mean, I think it kind of evens out from that regard as well. Um, but Sean, let's dive into some of the individual players and just the moments throughout the Big Ten tournament. I mean, that Jordan Bohan shot, you kind of had a feeling when he got the ball, maybe it's just me, when he got the ball with about three or four seconds left on the shot clock, went to the top of the key. Like Jordan hadn't hit a big, 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 big three like that. It since, I mean, I'm sure he hit a few during the season. Obviously, he had 10 against Maryland, but he didn't have that sort of game-clinching, game-winning one. And you knew when he came back for a sixth season, despite all the struggles and all that, it was kind of a moment. Like, when he let go of the ball, I did expect it to go in. Maybe that's just me, but just knowing Bohannon's history of those type of moments and what he's done, I, I at least thought that. And I think at that moment, Sean, that's when I'm kind of like, this Iowa team might be different. They might be able to go in and win the Big Ten title because I think what Iowa fans have been waiting for, and I think John Miller and Chad mentioned it as well, and I, I completely agree with it. They've been waiting for Iowa to get in those big-time moments, primetime games, to go with a perennial prestigious program like an Indiana powerhouse, like, like a Purdue, right? To go in and make those type of game-winning plays down the stretch. I mean, when has Iowa done that in recent memory against those type of teams? And just to finish it out, I think that was such a big, big moment for Iowa. And Keegan Murray, like, look, Johnny Davis got Big Ten Player of the Year. I, I, I would have given it to Keegan. That's just me. But right now, Sean, I don't think there's – Keegan's playing the best basketball in the country as far as individual goes. I mean, going 8 of 10 from three-point range against Indiana – doing what he obviously struggled a little bit against Purdue, but he was good defensively, made some big plays down the stretch. I mean, Keegan set multiple records. Iowa's offense set multiple records. And I think he's a guy that you can win with in, in March. And I'll tell you another guy that I think has turned this around completely, and I think you mentioned him earlier. Look, Tony Perkins is a gamer. I mean, the, with the way he's come around, I think, in the past six weeks, Sean, you talk about a guy that, that I think perfectly understands his role and understands his limitations and capabilities on the basketball court. Like, he always plays within himself. And he's, been, he's evolved as a passer. 
Like the last two weeks, I've been very impressed with his playmaking ability. Now the way he's even switched off at times to go run the point guard position. I think that's really made a big difference. And obviously his perimeter defense is it's been suffocating. I think from time to time, he's making those aggressive plays and he's getting in the paint and he, he's not afraid to take those big shots. And I think a part of it too, you, you mentioned it when you covered him in recruiting, Sean, that he had a shoulder injury. It's kind of lingered. And he said after the Nebraska game, that was the first time he's really felt a hundred percent in a long time. And he's certainly playing like that. Not afraid to pull up from three aggressive takes to the basket, attacking the glass. I mean, Fran McCaffrey's move to put him at the starting lineup and Joe Toussaint's willingness to embrace being that guy off the bench again. I think that's completely changed Iowa season. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, you talk about that Nebraska game, too, where Tony started feeling better. You know, they put him in the starting lineup against Minnesota on February 6th. The next couple of games, he had games of two, five, four, 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 and five points. And, you know, it didn't really feel like he was really a starter in those games. It kind of just felt like he was coming off the bench, but he was starting those games. But, you know, since that Nebraska game, obviously he had the 20 points there. Against Michigan, he had 13. Um, against Illinois, he had 17. Rutgers 16, Indiana eight, and then Purdue he had eleven. But you know he had all the he had all big shots in those games. Like he just seemed much more comfortable on the court offensively. You know we know what he can bring defensively, but you know from an offensive standpoint, I just feel like he looked so much more so much more comfortable and just so much more you know um, playing with the speed of the game, playing with the pace of the game, and getting used to the physicality. Obviously, he's always been a physical player, but you know, I think this this stretch has really proven his confidence and has really made him a different player on the court. And I honestly think he's a much better fit at that two guard spot along with Tony Perkins or along with Jordan Bohannon. I feel like those two guys work really well together and what they and what they want to do. And I think you can throw him in there with even like, you know, Joe Toussaint or Aaron Ulis. I know Tony doesn't shoot the three a ton, but he will shoot the three when he's out there and when he's open. He can knock it down, obviously thirty three percent on the year, but you know, I think what he brings from an athletic standpoint, just a grinder standpoint, is a really, really important asset to this team. Yeah. And, you know, how how they can really move forward um, in March and, uh, you know, for the next couple of years as well. Because, you know, he went from being a role player this year to potentially a cornerstone in the program over the next couple of years. I'm not going to say he's going to be, you know, All-American. But I think he can be a really respectable starter and potentially an All-Big Ten, yep. you know, second – third or maybe even first team by the time his senior season gets here. I know we want to focus on March, but I think what he has brought to the table has been really encouraging for his long-term upside at Iowa because, yeah. you know, you could always see it and you always heard about it. You always heard about what he could do during the offseason. But, you know, this this these last couple of games have really, you know, kind of turned the tide with everything and, you know, how maybe from an outsider's view, but, you know, I think the guys inside the program really thought that, you know, it's only a matter of time before Tony really shows up and, you know, helps change the dynamic of this team. I think it's it's pretty clear, Sean, if Chris Murray comes back next year, which I know I think he will. But I mean, I think people need to realize like he is on a top 60, couple top 60 mock draft boards like people NBA scouts like him. At least the ones that, you know, the people I've talked to in NBA circles, they like him. But you look at Tony Perkins, you look at Peyton Sanford, uh, I think. Some of the shots he hit yesterday, Sean, I was like, he's got it. Like he, you talk about a gamer and I know you watched, you scout him a lot in high school. He is a gamer. He's not afraid of the moment. And he's got that quick trigger, especially from three. We look at Chris Murray, you look at Tony Perkins, you look at Peyton Sanford. 
that's a respectable core that you can build around for the future. And Patrick McCaffrey as well, obviously. I mean, Iowa's got some people that they can build around. But, you know, like, like I said, Peyton Sanford, I think, needs to have get some credit for yesterday as well because those back-to-back threes he hit to put Iowa up 57 to 51, especially that first one, Sean, where he got the ball on the wing and mm-hmm. the guy was, had put a hand up at first and Peyton kind of sat there for a second and analyzed everything. And the second the defender dropped his hand, Peyton did not hesitate. He absolutely ripped it, nothing but net. And I th- again, at that point, I was thinking, okay, he's got he's gamer. He's he's got the clutch factor. He's not afraid of the big moment because that was a huge, huge shot that I think really put Iowa in that position where you thought momentum might have been slipping a little bit, but Patrick behind Patrick McCaffrey's five straight points and Peyton Sanford back to back threes. And this Iowa team just continues to battle back. I know I got some flack on social media for the Indiana game when Trace Jackson Davis had that breakaway dunk and Indiana went up nine, I think, with five minutes left. And I said, look, that might be the dagger. And I don't regret the tweet because based on everything that was happening, Sean, I mean, there was – I think a lot of people felt the same way with the way that the game was trending. And this Iowa team continues to battle back. They've been extremely impressive. Uh, and I'll say this, too. When you – given everything that – Iowa lost last year. Obviously, Luca Garza, consensus national player of the year, Joe Wieskamp, CJ Frederick, Jack Nunji, four of the top seven scorers. And you look at the people Iowa have. Like, think about the offers that the core players for Iowa. Tony Perkins, the only high major, I mean, power five offer, I believe was Iowa, correct? Yeah. Joe Toussaint was a late guy. Uh, Jordan Bohannon. Yeah, whatever. He's been here eight years, make longevity jokes, but Iowa was his only power five offer. Keegan and Chris Murray, people were not happy when Fran offered them. They, they weren't. You have Philip Robracha, who was a very good player at North Dakota. What Fran McCaffrey's gotten out of this group, Sean, has been nothing short of a heck of a coaching job by him. And like, I get Fran might have his downfalls from time to time, but this is by, I think, by, I want you to say, well, I want to say by far. This is his most well-coached team that he's had. This is his best coaching job of his career. Iowa has the second most wins right now in school history with 26 this season, the year after losing four of the top six, seven scores. So it really is – it's an intriguing thing to me. Um, and I think Fran McCaffrey's willingness to adapt and change. I mean, Iowa really hasn't gone that much zone defense this year, Sean. They've really played a lot more man. I think that's why the efficiency numbers have gone up so much. But again, you look at when they switched to zone against Rutgers, that's what got them back into the game. That bench unit defensively and that zone defense got them back into that game because it looked like for a while Rutgers was going to go out and really push the game away. So like you said, Sean, like there, Iowa's going to be a trendy pick. A lot of the mm-hmm. national analyst guys are saying final four. You look at the region. This is our transition in the NCAA tournament. I understand why Iowa's a trendy pick. I do, and I don't want to sit here and throw expectations on, but I do feel like with this group, it, there's just a different feel over the last six weeks than anything I think, I've, at least since I started covering the beat in August of 2018. Yeah, and I feel like last year was kind of an eye-opener for a lot of people too, and to see how success and how matchups, how important those are in the NCAA tournament because, you know, Iowa – on paper, it looked like a really even matchup. But when you saw it, when you put those two teams on the court together, Oregon and, and Iowa, there was no there was no way that Iowa was seeming to win that game if Oregon was going to click on the cylinders that they did during that route. Yep. And 
you know, I think this game, this team this year could, you know, really match up well with that Oregon team. But, you know, that was last year. This is this year. Um, you know, I know a lot of people want to put that to bed, but, you know, I think you look at the matchups in this side of the bracket in the Midwest region, Richmond, you know, had really no business being in the NCAA tournament until they won the Atlantic 10, you know, put together a really impressive slate winning or taking down Dayton and then Davidson in the championship game. Um, so, I mean, I think that matchup, you know, you would, with Richmond, you got obviously Tyler Burton, who is a really volume scorer, uh, really athletic prospect, six foot seven, uh, can score at all three levels, really fast, plays really fast in the half court will really be active with back screens and, you know, trying to get open, running off screens, what have you. Really athletic player, too. Um, he's one to keep an eye on Grant Golden as well, the center for them. He's a really, you know, crafty post player who likes to really work in the post with his back to the basket. And then Jacob Gilliard, who is one of the country's best defenders at the point guard spot um, for Richmond, is also really quick and savvy as well. You know, those are kind of the main three guys, but outside of that, you know, if I was clicking the way that they can, then that's a really intriguing matchup. And I know we'll talk about those teams. You know, I think I know we'll talk about the rest of the bracket later on in the podcast. But I think what this team brings, you kind of feel safer with how they can make a run potentially in this in this uh, in this tournament, in this edition, because you look at the athleticism, you know, you talk about, you know, teams making runs. I think there's a stat where like the last couple of NCAA champions the last final couple final four teams, like all of them have shot at least 39% from three in the NCAA tournament. I know, you know, it's a different, different backdrop in these, uh, in these places, in these, um, you know, arenas than other places that Iowa has played. But, you know, I think this team really has, you know, that scoring ability and that capability to, you know, put up those numbers efficiently on offense. And I think a really another critical thing, too, is, you know, you got the experienced guards. Joe Toussaint's got an NCAA tournament under his belt. Um, Jordan Mohan's got a couple under his belt as well. Uh, I know Tony Perkins really didn't play that much last year, but, you know, he's an experienced guy. Um, you know, you got others, too. The Murrays have played in this before. You know, there's there's more experience. And, you know, I know it's not, you know, like the typical couple Baylor teams or, um, you know, Kansas or, uh, you know, what have you, or Gonzaga, um, you know, could go down the line, Illinois, of teams that, you know, have been in the NCAA tournament, those experienced guards. But, you know, Iowa has that this year. And there's a pretty good recipe um, or pretty good, you know, past success or resume for those types of teams to make potential runs in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I think, too, when you have a superstar like Keegan Murray, that really helps. Obviously, Luca Garza was a special player. But I think what Keegan does and, you know, his athleticism and, you know, the different things that he can do. I mean, Luke Garza was as well-rounded um, as a big man as you can get in college basketball, obviously being National Player of the Year. Um, you know, you could argue that he should have won it twice. But, um, you know, I think Keegan, what he can do on the floor, and plus you put Chris out there too. Like, I think there were so many times during the Big Ten tournament, or at least I felt like it, where Iowa kind of just seemed to throw it up to Keegan and he could just catch it wherever. And they didn't do that you know, at I, all during the regular season either. That was yeah. the crazy part to me, but Connor and Keegan, I mean, they had, I think that stretch where they had what three alley-oops and about four possessions. Yeah. And I think that's so valuable because Keegan, like you forget that he's six, nine and he can really jump out of a gym and you forget like his wingspan has got to be over seven foot at this point too. So I think it's like seven, one or seven, two, maybe I, I could be wrong on that, but, 
you know, I think when you have a, when you have someone like that who can, you know, change the game in so many ways. And, you know, I think also people forget that Keegan's best. I mean, they didn't forget this, this, the past couple of games, but, you know, Keegan came into Iowa as a shooter. That was his strength. But this year we really saw that versatility. And, you know, if he can add that game, you know, consistencies to his outside shot, that makes Iowa even more of a dangerous team. And Chris has seemed to come along too as well. And we talked about Perkins, but, you know, I think Iowa this year can hurt you in so many different ways that it makes them a much more dangerous team down the line. I mean, we talked yeah. about Wies Camp and Garza, but, you know, I think last year, I mean, Keegan, you know, you saw the potential, but I don't really think that you would rely on him to be a one-on-one shot maker like he is this year. You know, Chris can create for himself. Um yeah. Tony Perkins, you know, there's a number of guys, like even Peyton Sanford that we saw. I know he's not the quickest guy, but, you know, even if he has a hand in his eye, he can shoot it and he can make it. Well, Peyton and, makes it difficult to even guard him because the thing I've been so impressed with him, Sean, is his movement without the ball is phenomenal. He does not stop moving. Like, he is a mm-hmm. pain in the butt to guard. He might not be fast, but if you just watch him come off screens, he's not afraid to let it fly. His rebounding has been really impressive to me, too. But his development from November to now, Sean, has been really, really intriguing. And I, I want to mention this, too, about Keegan. You talked about his confidence level right now. Pulling up from three, remember last year, the Big Ten tournament, last couple of games regular season, the NCAA, teams would leave him open from three and Keegan would not shoot it because he just. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. He, he, I think his percentage was what, mid-20s at the time from three? And there, he just got in his own head. So from a mental growth standpoint, it, it's been really crazy. He's shooting over 40% now after the tournament. He shot, I think, 62% from three during the, of the Big Ten tournament, which is crazy. But – I, I want to mention this too real quick and I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Sean, but the play that really showed me that Keegan can carry Iowa through the NCAA in the big 10. And like, I always knew you knew this too. I mean, he's going to be a top draft pick when he declares uh, he's a great player, but the thing that the play that really capped it off for me and that made me realize Keegan understands how good he is now. Like Keegan truly believes he he's on a different level than everybody else was in the big 10 tournament. He grabbed that rebound and threw it down over two defenders with one hand on that play. That was an NBA highlight real play. And right when he did that, I said, Keegan finally understands how good he is at basketball and that when he is on the floor, he is the best player. And that sort of, those sort of plays, I think going in the NCAA tournament, it, it, just from a confidence standpoint, it's going to be absolutely huge for him. And on top of this too, this is why I think people need to realize as well about this Iowa team. Who on Iowa, I can only think of maybe one player. I won't even mention, but who on Iowa is not playing their best basketball of the season right now? Every yeah, single I mean, person I can think of, but maybe outside of me, Aaron Euless, but he really hasn't gotten much run the past couple of games, so that's probably not fair to throw that on him. But who on Iowa yeah. is not playing their best basketball of the season? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you, you say Aaron Euless, but, you know, I think you see 
Bohannon, how much of an impact he's made with how he can stretch the floor. Yep. That you know, it's kind of hard for Aaron to get a to get a uh, to get a real feel um, when he's on sure. the court. But sure. you know, yeah, I mean, you you bring up a good point. I mean, Rebracha obviously isn't scoring, but you know, he's playing post defense. He had a little bit of a tough time with the Purdue bigs yesterday, but. I thought he battled in the post and I thought he played really well when he needed to, you know, he's not going to put up 16 points a game like he did at North Dakota last year, but you know, he's really done a good job of buying into that new role as well. And yeah, I mean, I, the one thing I worry about too, I mean, maybe it's not for, for this matchup or, you know, this, this side of the bracket, but you know, once Iowa hits sweet 16 elite eight, you know, how can they handle that size? I thought Ogundale and uh, Mulvey did a really good job on, you know, guys like Zach Eady and Trevian Williams when they needed to. But, you know, you're going to see other guys in the tournament who are maybe a bit better and maybe a bit stronger and maybe can move a little bit better. So that's going to be a really, uh, really tough dynamic for them to see how they can they can adjust to that. But no, you bring up a good point about, you know, not click or everyone clicking at the right time. And, you know, it's not like it's been a five game stretcher like the NCAA tournament. Like it was the whole Big Ten tournament and that last, you know, 10 games of the season yep. that you know, they really seem to be humming as a team and, you know, being in a lot of rhythm. And, you know, that's kind of what you want going into March. And I know, you know, you give a lot of people flack for, you know, seeing that I was a Final Four team. But, I mean, how could you really blame them? I mean, I know I'm kind of skeptical of those comments, but yeah. I definitely see where they're coming from, you know, with this team, with the way they're playing and, you know, how in unison they are and, you know, how just textbook, you know, this thing has been over the last – you know, couple couple weeks. It's been really incredible to see. So, Sean, the thing that stands out to me, and then we'll, I really want to dive into this this bracket in this region, is like you said, this is why people are buying stock in Iowa. Um, before Iowa's game winner against Indiana, I tweeted this out and put it on our board. Iowa's last single digit win came on January thirteenth against Indiana, so they wow. went up. Uh, more than what seven weeks without a single digit win. Obviously, they had the close loss to, <clears throat> to Michigan, had the close loss to Illinois. But I think Iowa getting down the stretch of that game and making the big plays, that's going to pay that experience to get paid dividends, dividends in this NCAA tournament to know how to execute late and to not panic. And I think something that really stuck out to me. Fran McCaffrey not calling that timeout when Iowa's offense really went in a struggle against Indiana on that final possession. Like he trusts mm-hmm. his guys and it paid off. So it just, it, it's very intriguing to me. I think 21 of Iowa's wins this year are come by double digits. Like Iowa's not just winning close games. They are blowing teams out. And there's a lot of confidence there. When you combine that with the, the single digit win over Indiana. Like, yeah, Iowa beat Purdue by nine yesterday, but that was due to a garbage time layup by Jay and Ivy and Iowa just didn't want to foul. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt as well. But like I said, the, the things are just, it's clicking. And I did, I did want to mention about Philip or It was kind of funny. He replied to somebody last night uh, who commented on his photo and he said, yeah, it's been a season full of fandom calls and elbows to the face. It was expensive, huh. but worth it. And I'm like, you know, <clears throat> I've been, somewhat critical of officiating as far as the bigs, especially against Iowa, like Kofi Coburn, Zach Eady and all that. And I, I try to think about it from this perspective, Sean, is Iowa so undersized that they don't know how to officiate when they have those huge guys go against Iowa, like especially over the back calls. 
they can't make the call because those like Iowa's so undersized that they believe the players can just go over the top without actually fouling them, which you can do, obviously. But it, it it's just an intriguing little little facet to me. But again, you talk about Iowa's depth and Fran's confidence in his guys. To play again, to play Riley Mulvey and Joshua Gundele in the Big Ten Championship in the first half when you really I guess they got in a little bit of foul trouble, but they kind of needed to. They needed the the rest because it's four games in four days. Like it, it's just the combination with this team is so intriguing to me. And uh I do want to transition to the NCAA tournament though, Sean. Wait, we've I know we've kind of gone just off on a random tangent, but I, I've been so impressed with this Iowa team. But again, I don't know if I mentioned this beginning of the podcast, but if Iowa is going to break the sweet 16, Kershaw, like it, it's, if it's not this year, when's it going to be? Iowa's draw is incredibly favorable. I was playing, I was playing like one of the hottest teams in the country. They're be, they've become a trendy elite eight pick sweet 16 pick for sure. Uh, this is a very, very good pod for Iowa. And on top of that, Richmond was overseeded. I mean, you look at their wins of the season, obviously they beat Davidson, but if you, in reality, Sean, they probably should put South Dakota stay on that 12 line and through and through uh, Richmond at that 13 spot. But Iowa fans, I'm sure, aren't going to complain. But Richmond's not oversized team. I think the 304th in rebounding margin, sub 100 in defensive efficiency. They have a really good point guard. But if you look on paper, this is a very, very favorable matchup for Iowa, in my opinion. Yeah, and I was watching a lot of film last night, too, and you know, you have a couple, I mentioned those three guys on Richmond that can do some damage, but, you know, outside of that, a lot of their guys that they have on the court are pretty inconsistent. You know, I think they have one of their dudes, um, I think Sharp is their last name. Um, yeah, Sharp, no, yeah, Sherrod, why is it Sharp? Um, shooting 35% from three, you know, that's respectable. He shoots it a lot. Gilliard shoots a ton of threes, shooting 247, he's shooting 36%. Um, but yeah, these guys are, they're, they're solid. I think they're solid across the board, but, you know, like I said before too, you know, outside of Gilliard at that point guard spot, they don't have much. I mean, Isaiah Wilson did a really good job on, uh, AJ Green from UNI this year, but, you know, he's not really much of an offensive threat. They got a couple other guys, Andre Gustafsson can, can shoot it if he needs to, but, you know, he's not much of a reliable offensive guy. Um, Nathan Cayo, I you know, that's that's going to be a fascinating matchup for Iowa because, you know, he really doesn't do much outside of, you know, kind of just sitting in the post and, you know, rebounding the ball and potentially blocking shots. But, you know, he, he's a guy that could potentially have an impact on the game. But, you know, it's going to be key to shutting down. I think, you know, you look at Tyler Burton, obviously he's more the explosive player on this team. And, you know, Gilliard, I think, can put up numbers as well. But Burton's a guy that Iowa will need to contain. And, you know, kind of see what I think if you put Keegan Murray on him, then he could have a tough time with his length. I know Burton's probably a little bit quicker than Keegan or even Patrick McCaffrey, because I think McCaffrey's length could really bother him as well. Um, but I think the key in this matchup is containing Grant Golden, uh, the six foot ten post for Richmond. You know, he's a really crafty player inside post, really good defensive rebounder, um, doesn't draw a lot or doesn't commit a lot of fouls. Um, is pretty efficient inside the inside the arc, um, inside the two point line or inside the three point line. You know, gets a lot of their shots too. I think he's used on most of the possessions for Richmond this year, according to Kempom. And you know, he's gonna be one that I think Robracha will have to have his hands full with. And you know, I think you talk about Agundale 
and Mulvey. But I think one of the undervalued things with Robracha, obviously, you know, he's not the tallest center in the world um, that, you know, it'd be nice to have Nick, Jack Nungie this year. But, yep. you know, Golden's Golden's pretty nimble with his feet. You know, he he can shoot it from outside, but but he can dribble at the top of the key, too. And, you know, he's not prone to take guys off the bounce, but, you know, he'll look to get an edge and look to get, you know, involved somewhere and then get his back to the basket. And, you know, he's really crafty, too, with how he, you know, uses his shot fakes, uses the pivot foot, and, you know, kind of gets guys up in the air. You know, he doesn't draw a ton of fouls. I know Burton's the one that averages the most fouls or fouls drawn because he plays so fast and, you know, he's so strong and, you know, wants to get to the rim. But, you know, Golden can really keep you keep you honest with how he plays and, you know, the amount of shot fakes and ball fakes that he uses down low and, you know, how he kind of makes you uncomfortable in that regard. But, sure. you know, I think I think one of the real keys with watching film as well is, you know, I talked about in the offensive end um, is kind of containing Golden and Gilliard. I know Burton, you know, he can score it. He can fill it up. He can get to the foul line. Um, but, you know, I think Gilliard and Golden with that two-man game that they have, you know, you can't go under Gilliard because he can pull up and shoot it, knock down a three off the bounce. But, you know, it's tough to go over him as well because he's so quick. Maybe this is a game where we see more of Joe Toussaint at that point guard spot. Just about to say that, yep. I know, I know. you know, Bohannon's played really good defense, but and I think he'll get the first crack at him. But, you know, maybe this could be a time where Joe Toussaint can really shine. I mean, we saw him really battle against um, – was that him battling against Jay Nivey yesterday? I know I tweeted you know, that. Thank you for mentioning times. that. I, I, I meant to bring this up as a point earlier. That was the first time in a while I've seen Jay Nivey visibly rattled. He was upset yesterday with the way Joe Toussaint was pestering him. And I, I did want to mention this quick before we, we get back to this matchup, Sean. But the, the big thing for me that I saw yesterday, again, Iowa didn't shoot well. But Iowa's guards on that help defense on the block that forced all those turnovers, that was outstanding defense by Iowa. I mean, that was that is just great help side defense. Guards going in, pestering them. And it's interesting, Joe Toussaint finished the Big Ten season uh, the most steals per 40 minutes and second in overall steals despite only playing 17 and a half minutes a game. I mean, that's the sort of defensive impact that he can have. And his obviously his open floor speed and everything is upon itself. But no, I, I think you're right, Sean. I think this is a game where we see more Joe Toussaint. I think Jordan Bohannon, He's the type – I know people are going to point to last year against Oregon, okay, I mean, right. with it, with the way that ended. But you talk about a guy who's not afraid of the moment that can – proven to make big shots. Iowa's got the star. They got multiple guys that can step up and hit big shots. They got the depth. Like, again, I understand why Iowa's become a team that's becoming trendy. And, you know, according to Bet Rivers, uh, the most popular bets to make the final four since the bracket was announced by Toll Ticket, Sean, Iowa's got the most new tickets right now make the final four i mean that imagine us having this conversation back in november or october about this team it's it's just insane to me but no i think we see more joe toussaint uh and and the reality is if you know i don't even expect i expect he to go out and get 20 and 10 minimum a night 20 and Mm -hmm. 8 whatever i mean he's i think he's gonna go out personally sean i think he's got 35 to 40 in the first game because i think this is when it's going to step up. This is when is everything's on the line, uh, and and I haven't really decided yet, but I do have Iowa winning again. I think the matchup's just so good for Iowa. I think Richmond obviously has shown some nice things. I think they got a bad seed. I mean, they they were just you know uh, overseed. 
Uh, I, I have Iowa winning. I, I think Iowa, they, they keep it close for a while. And I think it's almost like that Grand Canyon game last year where Iowa ends up winning by 12 to 14 points. I just, I think Keegan's got a big game. I think Tony Perkins will have 12. I, I think Bohan hits a couple big threes. Chris Murray. I, I think Iowa's versatility and length and just prowess, offensive firepower, I, I think it's just going to be too much for Richmond. Yeah, I agree with you there too. And, you know, if Iowa wins that game, I know we don't want to get too far far ahead of ourselves, but you talk about that Providence South Dakota state matchup, like what a difference in styles with yeah. South Dakota yep. and Providence, you know, Providence is more of a physical, you know, typical type of big East team, pretty good offensive team. Um, you know, the, the one knock on them, I think has been Al Durham and, you know, his field goal percentage is the second, you know, leading scorer on that team, but he can get to the free throw line as, as well as anybody convert from there. Um, you know, Providence is not a great offensive team in terms of, you know, their shooting numbers, but they're getting to the free throw line at a really good rate. You know, they don't they spend a lot of time, you know, in the half court. They don't really, um, you know, play with a fast pace. Um, they're experienced team, you know, decently tall, don't use their bench a lot. Three hundred second in the country in bench minutes. Yeah. But, yep. you know, South Dakota State, like. I think I think the stat I found or I wrote up was they've scored less than 70 points once and that was 63 points and I don't think they've scored less than 75 points outside of that and I think they're they're first in the country in effective field goal percentage first yeah. in three point percentage top 10 in two point percentage don't turn the ball over that much outside of offensive rebounding like their stats on Kempom are all in the top 40 offensively nice. except they're except their free throw percentage. So, uh, or how much they get to the free throw line. So there's a lot of, uh, yeah, that's, that matchup is going to be, going to be interesting. I know South Dakota state, the big knock on them. I think, you know, you could talk about this with Iowa last year too. There's constant similarities just defense. defense. You know, they don't play, they don't play a lot of defense. They, they score a lot of points, but they give up a lot of points. You know, that, that argument can be made about Iowa. And I know Seth Davis tried to make that argument yesterday, but, you know, and it's totally fair, but I also think this Iowa team, how they've really embraced the defensive end over the last couple of weeks has been notable and should be, should have the attention of the national pundits more than it does. Um, so yeah, that would be, that would be an, an impressive game to watch. And in yeah. that, if, if it's Iowa and South Dakota state, I think that would be a game where, you know, I think Iowa, you just have to give a nod from, you know, a talent standpoint, but I think South Dakota State, if they can shoot as well as they did, like that makes them really dangerous to yep. potentially be a, a team that could make a deep run. But, you know, I, I don't know how deep we want to go into the the the, the rest of the bracket or the rest of Iowa's region. I mean, I'm fine with giving the, the preview just for, for what I initially think is going to happen. Yeah, Subject I was going to say I was looking at, you know, the whole bracket this morning for the write-up I did. And, you know, there are four players in this region that – are considered uh, lottery picks in, in ESPN's latest NBA mock draft for the 2022 NBA draft. Auburn's Jabari Smith, Iowa's Keegan Murray, Wisconsin's Shawnee Davis, and Kansas' Ojai Abaji. And then you got two other, you got three other guys in the top 32 with LSU's Tari Eason, Auburn's Walker Kessler, and Kansas's Christian Braun. So, you know, I think on paper, this might be the most loaded, you know, top-heavy NBA talent side of the bracket. Obviously, Kentucky's got a couple of guys that are going to be top 15. Um, Duke has a couple of guys as well. You know, there's obviously teams I'm missing, but 
there's a lot of individual talent in this bracket. Um, and you got to even put into uh, effect Evan Mobley from, or Isaiah Mobley, sorry, yeah. Evan's his brother. Um, Isaiah Mobley from USC, you know, he's another really intriguing, you know, late first round, early second round pick that, that can make an impact somewhere in the NBA. So, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, you talk about teams and how well they can shoot the three, but, you know, we've seen teams in the past, I know it's a long time ago, but look how much Steph Curry carried, Steph, Steph Curry carried that Davidson team a couple of years ago. I mean, there's many, there's many other examples of how much, you know, one guy can make a difference for you. And, you know, I think that's what every team in, in this bracket has, has an argument to, or in this region has an argument to make is that they have, you know, arguably one of the most talented players in the country and they could really lead them. And, you know, I think you look at Wisconsin, um, obviously Johnny Davis, you know, I don't know how built they are for an NCAA tournament. You got to see how healthy got, Johnny Davis is too. Because that he's too, not that himself. Too. Yeah, that too. That's, that's critical. Jabari Smith, you know, he's really talented, but how efficient can he be? Walker Kessler, you know, he's a really good defender, pretty good offense guy too. I think he like is up there in the nation for like most dunks or something like that. Um, yeah. And Kansas is Obaji and um, Braun, but they I don't know how well they really match up with Keegan Murray. Um, but, you know, like I said, I mean, there's so much individual talent that can drive you to an NCAA tournament run that, you know, you had to kind of put all these teams in in the conversation or in consideration to, you know, potentially make a deep run. At the time, though, too, Sean, this is why I look at this region like there's a like you said, there's a lot of individual talent, but these are teams that aren't trending in the right way. Like there it's, yeah. it's it's the most open. I think it's the most open region of any of them by far. Um, I, I have never bought stock into Wisconsin. I personally think that they're the worst Big Ten championship team that's been in, at least in my memory. Um, and that's nothing to take away from Johnny Davis or anything like that. But you just look at the makeup of the team, the way they won, right? It's just sort of, okay, they did it. And that's credit to them, not taking anything away at all. But I, something I did want to mention, Sean, it's just an intriguing kind of factor was the Ken Palm luck stat. Providence is ranked number one with a 0.194. The second place team is uh, 0.62. Like that is such a significant jump. And on top of that as well, Iowa of the 68 teams, Iowa's ranked 66th in luck this season out of the 68. So, I mean, again, at the end of the day, you do need a stroke of luck in the NCAA tournament as well. I mean, it's just it's just the way the, the ball balances and all that as well. But, you know, and the thing that gives me pause about the, the whole... Uh... Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Just the, the Providence-South Coast State matchup is, is it become such a trendy pick that everybody's going to pick it and nothing's going to come of it because Providence is only favored by one and a half, which is crazy. But when you look again, when you look at um, South Coast state stats, you you really can't argue it. So I, I don't know who I'm picking for Iowa to face, but I will say this, Sean, I do think that regardless of who they play, I think Iowa's got 
I think Iowa makes it. I think they break the curse this year. Uh, I'm fine with previewing the entire region. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I got Iowa at least going to the Sweet 16. I, I think they're the best team out of the pod. I don't think it's very close. I think Iowa got a very, very favorable draw. I think Providence, just based off watching this year, is incredibly overseeded. But when you look at what they've done on paper and the close wins that they've had, they've done a great job this year. Um, but like you said, it, it's intriguing to me, too, because Auburn's really struggled lately, and they got the two seed. And they obviously they deserve the two seed. I'm not saying anything like that. But, again, when you look at the region, Wisconsin, Providence, Kansas – Kansas at times has been spotty too. Like it, it's it's interesting. Like let me put it this way: based on who's in the region, Sean, I'm not surprised a lot of people are picking Iowa to go far. Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. Um, that's definitely a fair point. But you know, I think you got to go back to Richmond a little bit. I think Iowa has the pieces to make it a pretty comfortable win. But you know, I think Richmond, if if things are clicking too, like. They can make they can make it interesting as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean it's gonna be gonna be fascinating. I say I say we hold off on kind of do you know doing the whole preview until you know if Iowa makes it to the Sweet Sixteen. But you know I think you know looking at it from a from a bigger picture, I definitely think things are favorable um, in Iowa's direction more than they would be say you know they get in South Dakota State in the first round or yeah. you know you know kind of just going off of that. So it's a it's a fine draw. I think, you know, it's, it's winnable, but you know, anything can happen in March. I know it's cliche, but I mean, it's true. Anything, (laughs) anything can happen in March, you know, any, you know, some days, you know, you're not making shots. That's, that's, you know, you don't have another game. If you lose, it's, you're done after that. And, you know, that Iowa team last year saw what happened. And I think, you know, I think that's been a real driving force for them as well, because they were, they were embarrassed on national TV as a number two seed facing off against a number seven seed. And, you know, kind of seeing that, you know, looking back and being like, okay, like we can't have that happen again. Um, that makes them, I think, even, you know, even more dangerous team because they know what it's like to lose. and But they also know what it takes to win. And they've had chances in the past. Um, you know, you talk about the Tennessee game a couple years ago with guys like Tyler Cook. And, you know, not a lot of people were giving them a chance to win, but they were definitely in that game. And, you know, there's a couple of guys back from that team that, you know, want to make an impact and, you know, want to, want to win um you know those those types of games so it'll be it'll be a fun uh fun stretch i think you know like i said before i think this team's built for a run but you know like i said march anything could happen but you know you couldn't ask for a better stretch of uh stretch of games if you're an iowa fan you know going into march because you know there's a lot of confidence around this program as well and the reality is Iowa's if Iowa advances to the second round, Sean, their opponent will have to have played a game before <laughs> before they get to the second round. Remember, Oregon is the only team that didn't last year. Uh, quick right. final note, Iowa is ranked 16th in the latest AP poll. Not surprising given the run. Maybe they would have been a little bit higher, but um, but obviously none of that really matters at all now because it's, uh, it's postseason play. So, Sean, any final notes about just the tournament and with the way Iowa's playing? Again, it's been – I think it's Fran McCaffrey's best coaching job ever. Uh, Richmond could make things intriguing, but if Iowa shows up with that same hustle and that same grit and they can actually make – I mean, magic number's probably eight or nine. If they can make nine threes against Richmond, I think Iowa's going to be in a very, very good shape. Um, and, again, I think just the, the versatility that the lineups have, it's going to be – I think this is going to be – like the most unprecedented NCAA tournament. I don't want to say run, but it's the most intriguing one I can remember since 
a long time. I mean, I, I just think it, there's so many pieces and things that are going right right now. But I think it's also going to come down to can Iowa put aside the Big Ten championship, get off that high, and just immediately bounce back because they don't have much rest. I mean, they only, I don't even know if they'll have an off day today, Sean, because they're going to have to travel. They'll probably get there. They'll probably be there Tuesday night. Maybe they have one scouting report before. But then they're back into two days of practice, and then guess what? Put up or shut up time. Win or go home. Yeah, it'll be a it should be a fun couple of days though. It's gonna be gonna be hectic, but you know that's that's March for you. It's gonna be um, it's gonna be a lot going on. And you know, like I said before, you know, I was clicking at the right time, and you know, you couldn't ask for anything better. But you know that that means there's a lot of expectations with that and how they've played. So it's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be fascinating to see how this Iowa team approaches things. Are you are you excited just to not move off your couch for like <laughs> four days? Yeah, well, I'm I'm actually driving. I'm driving to Indiana on a Thursday because I'm going to hit a couple high schools, and um, then I have my cousin's bachelor party this weekend down there too. So I won't You're be. I'll be too bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I'll be moving, but you know, I'll keep I'll keep on tap on everything. So yeah, for sure, I'll be all right. I'm just happy Buffalo. It's gonna be a high of 61 on game day. Oh yeah, that's really nice. That'll be like the spring spring vibes right there. Yep. No, it'll be. Uh, I know Kenny was uh, was really upset. I was texting him before the, the bracket, <laughs> and he literally goes like anywhere but Buffalo. And I said, dude, from what I'm hearing, it's going to be Buffalo in the morning. He gives, he said, don't manifest that. Don't put that on me. And I'm like, sorry, dude. Then he just texts me after. He goes, I hate you. And I'm like, I'm bad. <laughs> but uh, no, it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be a, it'll be a good time, and it'll be nice to actually cover an NCAA tournament in person again, just with the limitations they had last year and with how unprecedented everything's been, uh, it'll be a good time. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep everybody in touch with uh, everything that's going on. It's going to be a fun week. Enjoy the normalcy of it because, again, even last year it wasn't normal. The NCAA tournament's back. It should be a blast. David Eichel, Sean Bach, be sure to follow us on Twitter, at David Eichel, at SBach247, at Hawkeyes on 247, and be sure to take advantage of our 50% off discount deal. Uh most in-depth Iowa coverage available. So until next time, we'll uh, talk to you soon. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.